Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, I was joined by Julian Mugenot, the head of data and technology at Dashdot. Uh, and he, along with the rest of the team at Dashdot, is on a mission to transform the way the world invests. Um, so it was a really great discussion to have with Julian talking about his background, how he got started in property investing, and how he was actually an international investor far long before he became an Australian property investor, what that journey has looked like. And how he's ended up here. But more specifically, what I really enjoyed about this was some of the insights into, you know, staying true to yourself and what that actually really means and 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 how to think about that kind of stuff. And I think some of the real big nuggets actually came um, towards the end. And there's a lot of gold in here. And I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this um this episode, partly because, you know, it really started to pull back the curtain a little bit more on some of the inner you know, workings of Dashdot, um, but also it's really great to hear how different people are approaching um, this pathway to personal wealth or through property investing and all of that kind of stuff. So without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. Uh, let's get into my discussion with Julian and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is a very special guest. I've been waiting to get this guy on the show for some time. Welcoming to the show, Julian Mugino, the Head of Data and Technology at Dashdot. Julian, how are you? Good morning, Goose. I'm very well, thanks. Uh, just coming out of COVID, uh, so my voice is a bit uh, broken, but I'm very pleased to be here today. Uh, um, yeah, I'm really glad you could join us. I know you've been um, recovering a little bit in the in the last week or so. So thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. So, mate, um, because most of the people listening to this podcast don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of an insight? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what do you do at Dashdot? Like, what is what is the head of data and tech? What do you what do you what do you do? So, what we do is very I find it's very simple, but can be summarized in a very simple terms. We use data and technology to make sure we are buying the right property in the right place at the right time. And ultimately, the reason why we're doing this is to maximize our clients' return and minimize their risk. Mm. That's what we do. That's our sole purpose. It's a pretty, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty worthy purpose. Okay. So I want to dig into a lot of that stuff, right? And we're going to be careful maybe not to like – give everyone the secret sauce but i want to dig into that but look before before we go there like how did you how did you end up where did you where did you go you're obviously got a bit of an accent where did you grow up tell us a little bit about backstory like where did you where did you start so uh i was born in paris uh france uh mm. hence my accent um i born in paris grew up in the south of france and then back to Paris for, for uni, um, uh, where I graduated as uh, a chemical engineer. And then I had this uh, crazy idea when I graduated that basically all the engineers come up with great ideas, but they don't get the reward. People in sales and business get the financial rewards. So mm. I decided uh, when I graduated to move into uh, management consulting, where I worked uh, for a manage, management firm, management consulting firm for, let's say, four years. Um, I was pretty good at my job, but I was getting bored. So I started like doing interviews 
And then from there, I did lots of interviews. From there, I could basically, as I was being interviewed, I could see where I would end up when I'm 50 or 60s. Mm. And that was a very boring outcome. So I said, no, I don't want this. Uh, and I decided to pack up my stuff and I moved to Australia. Interesting. years ago. Yeah. 15 years ago, you moved to Australia. Yeah. And I haven't lost my accent. <laughs> <laughs> now that's that's really interesting okay so you so you're you born in paris grew up in the south of france went back to paris did your yeah. uh did your chemical engineering degree realized that you didn't just want to be a cog in the wheel that you wanted to do something more impactful but then just couldn't seem to really see what that path was going to look like in uh, in france and so you just what what did so you moved to australia what what was the what was the goal moving to australia so uh i was convinced uh that if you want to have um, an international career, you need to speak English. So I was looking for a country where I could learn English. So my options were um, the UK, the US, Canada, and Australia. Yep. So I lived in the UK, didn't really like it. You know, French English story uh, goes back <laughs> uh, centuries. Uh, US, it's hard to get a visa. Spent a couple of uh, months there, but... Uh, yeah, I had to get a visa. So I was left with Canada and Australia. But because I grew up in the south of France, I like the sun. Right? So I just <laughs> said, Australia it is. Uh, and I landed in Sydney in 2006. Yeah. Just nice. uh, at the time with a, a working holiday visa. And uh, it's been an awesome experience. Could you speak English when you arrived? Like you said, you wanted to move to an English-speaking country so you could learn. Like what? Like what? On a scale of one to ten, like what level was your English at when you moved to Australia? Uh, let's say let's say four. Um, uh, I've never been very good at learning languages. I'm more mm. like a number person, you know, science stuff. Um, so yeah, I studied English for a couple of years, obviously at school. That's what we do in France. Um, but yeah, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, so the only way for me to to learn is to practice. So I just you know, just jump, jump on the boat, yeah, and I, uh, and learn from there. That's that's interesting because um, musical people or creative people pick up languages way easier. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah, I've actually always found it really easy. I just moved to, I just go to a country and I'm like speaking a language like really, really quickly. It's, it's quite funny. So, but tell me, yeah. tell me, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what happened then. So you moved over. Your your English is a level four out of ten, and then what? So uh, what happened, I managed to uh, score a job at PwC, mm-hmm. uh, Price Coopers, and yep. the management consulting. That was my background. Um, that was brutal. Uh, and I, by the way, thank you, PwC, because it gave me the chance to, to, do, to work on amazing projects despite my language career, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, language skills. And yeah, so I started there two years uh, Two years and a half, and then one of my clients offered me a job. Uh, uh, funny, funnily enough, that was 2009 mm. uh, during the GFC, and that was interesting because in that move, I doubled my salary, which was in a time where people were getting basically losing their jobs and everything. That's I think I've I never increased my wealth so much than during this time, just coincidentally. Um, and then yeah, my my par- my uh, my client offered me a job. I worked for this firm for seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, along the way, I lost a little bit a sense of purpose. Uh, because 
it's kind of all my career. I'm, I've, I've jumped from one opportunities to another. And my only, my, I would say, key decision factor was money. Um, mm. Mainly so I could say to my father, I'm earning more money than you do. So just <laughs> give, give, him, give him the finger. <laughs> Excuse my French. Uh, but then, yeah, along the way, I lost like what I was really enjoying doing and I lost my purpose and I get to a point where I realize I don't enjoy what I'm doing and I don't like the people I'm working for, uh, particularly mm. the people I'm reporting to. Um, so by that time, I was 38 years old and um, and then uh, maybe midlife crisis, I asked myself, okay, what is it really you like doing? Uh, mm. it took me, it took me two years. It's, it's, it's a long process to really find yourself again. Yeah. Particularly, uh, depend, particularly if you're a long way off track, you know, like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was at, by that time I was maybe 15 years off track, mm. right? Uh, because I just like this stupid, so from the moment I graduated in chemistry, chemical engineering to, oh, yeah, I am going to move in business because they're making money and it's not fair to the engineer. Um, uh, but then like, I've learned a lot along these 15 years, but maybe that's not what I was meant to do. Um, interesting. Interesting. I'm, I'm, that's, that's pretty interesting, right? Because I think a lot of people actually do a quite similar thing. Like they don't really like in their like early twenties and stuff like that. They don't really think about like, what are they, what do they want out of life? They just get railroaded mentally or whatever into thinking, all right, I guess I've just got to get a good job and earn lots of money. And that's the, that's the goal, right? So yeah. what, like, I'm interested in that transition, like that kind of like two-year metamorphosis from, you know, from being lost to to found, for lack of a better term. Like, what, where did you, where did you land? Like, what did you decide was like the impact that you wanted to create? Well, what did you need to do differently? So the, the first thing is, okay, what, what is I really enjoy doing? And boil down to three things, right? I love property investment. Mm. I love tech and I love data mm. and then say, okay, then, okay, I love doing these things. Uh, I think I'm good at it. Uh, so what can I do with it? And it was 2017. So what I, I decided in 2017 is to create my own startup, which was called 2D. And what this, so this startup is, or was a pop tech company, mm. um, using data, AI, machine learning to basically identify um, uh, emerging markets mm-hmm. in Australia. Yes. So when did, when did you start first? When did you start getting interested in property investing? Like were you, were you investing in France or? So it started crossing my mind, but really, really, I, I caught the bug when I moved to Australia, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, interestingly enough, the kind of a property market didn't make any sense to me. You know, like uh, so I was uh, I landed in Bondi when I arrived in Australia, and I just felt like, especially having a European background, say what you pay for what you get is just doesn't make any sense. Um, why, so, why? Why is that? Why is that? Is the properties cheaper in Europe, or what's what uh, do you mean? Yeah, compare like so. I'm a like in Bondi, you get a studio for now, like today's market, at least a million dollar. Yeah. Well, for a million dollar in France, you can get a villa in the in the south of France, or in the US, you get a mansion. You know, or yeah. uh, in Bondi, or respect to Bondi, uh, 
yeah, you get a studio. <laughs> right, and Bondi, okay, it's nice, you got the beach, but it's not that, you know, like that amazing yeah. as well. All right. So, and also there's also all this myth like about, oh, you have a market double in 10 years, negative gearing, um, a couple of things like this, are just like, when you rethink about it, it just like, doesn't make any sense. Um, so what I did in the meantime, uh, I invested in property, but not in Australia. And mm. uh, what I started doing is uh, buying properties in the US, um, doing the GFC and the uh, mortgage subprime. Yeah, during the subprime mortgage crisis. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So that's what I did. So with one of my friends, uh, we jumped on the plane, we had a bit of saving. Um, we, uh, it was specializing in construction. So it could tell, you know, just by knocking on the walls, if it's a good house, or if it's a bad house. And, you know, the way I would inspect a, a property was completely different from his. He would just touch things and think, say, yeah, it's good. Whereas I'm like, oh yeah, that looks nice. Anyway, <laughs> we jump on the plane, we got a bit of savings. We check hundreds of properties and, um, we ended up buying six properties. That was, that was good fun. That was intense. Um, and I remember we started in Florida and we said we were planning to go to Ohio after that. But by the time we got finished with Florida, we, we ran out of money. So we just, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't make it to Ohio. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was fun. Yes. Yeah, so do you still own those properties? No, we sold them. Um, we sold them in 2016, 20, around 2016, 2017. Yeah. The, the main reason for this, because the market was going up, still going up, um, when I was going through divorce yeah. and, um, my, uh, partner at the time thought that they were, they were worth millions. Uh, when in fact, you know, each, each house we bought them for around 50 K, yeah. uh, us dollar. So the only way to, to land on the, on the real price was to sell them. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Okay, so and they were your first property investments were in the US. Yes, yes. That's, quite, that's yeah. quite funny. So you grew up in France, moved to Australia, and then the first properties you bought were in the US. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was that. And then uh, along the way, we used the rent from these properties because they were we we bought them cash, so all the all the the rent mm. was going on the bank account. And then we we use we use this money to buy land in Lombok, uh, <laughs> because one of my friends who was living in Hong Kong. Um, he was a financial trader, but this tip that basically Longbok is going to become the next Bali, and now you can really grab land for for cheap. So we said, okay, let's use our money to buy land in in Longbok, but there's no tax over there uh, because they, they contract when you bought things and everything. So it just like seems to go. I, I haven't really kept an eye on it, but it seems that the market is going up and up, and at yeah. some stage we we want to build or a resort over there, a resort and um, uh, well, a villa where we can retire. Awesome. That sounds, that sounds good. So how much, you said you're passionate about property investing, data and technology. How much data was going into the decision-making processes around like buying the land in Lombok? Or was the, or was the data just based around you guys riding around on scooters going, oh, this looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, the latest actually. <laughs> <laughs> It was land. It wasn't property, so there's not much to model. Uh, yeah. It was more just about believing whether or not Lombok is going to be an emerging market. And and there was two two factors for this that may, may help 
me make my decision. The first one is to just open an international airport. Yeah. Right. So you don't do that for any reasons. And they've got a $6 billion, I think even more than that, $6 billion resort they're building in Kuta in the south of Lombok. Yeah. With like a, a motor, uh, a bike, or mo- what's it? A yeah, GP yeah, yeah. Motor, motor, motor GP yeah, track yeah. and all of that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't invest that much of money for, for no reason. So, yeah. This yeah. Where, uh, for me, that was two very good growth drivers. Yeah. yeah and, it- and also the beaches are more beautiful than they are in Bali. Oh, they're way more beautiful than they are oh, in Bali, aren't they? They're so yeah. much better than Bali. Oh. oh, yeah. And it's interesting because when I went over there for the first time, which I think was about 10 years ago, um, I was eyeing off some land as well in the south because I was looking at the beach. I was uh-huh. going, oh, yeah, they're building an international airport and like, all the same yeah. kind of stuff. Now, at the time, I didn't have I didn't have any uh, any capital to be, able to, to be able to invest in the land, but I wish I did because the land that I was looking at then was about $10,000, and I think that would be probably 10 times or yeah, or, yeah it's about fi- that. Or 50 yeah. to 50 times more maybe it's like it's yeah. significantly more expensive now yeah. so awesome so okay so your property investing journey started uh overseas when did you start actually investing in australia i'm going to get back to the data and tech piece but i'm interested to understand understand this part of the journey tell me about that so 2017 i decided i decided to create uh, a pop tech startup specializing in uh, identifying emerging market in Australia, you know, so 15,300 plus suburbs to play with and uh, develop an algo and I had to demonstrate that it works, right? And at that time, the algo picked uh, Moremba, mining town, right? And what I love doing is picking other market that crashed with good drivers to recover, you know, like that was the US, for example. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then more and more mining town, uh, market crashed after the mining boom, but there was some significant project coming up. So I decided to buy a house over there. So I bought a house <laughs> for $210, something like that. 210,000, um, just to be clear. 210,000, sorry, yeah, $210,000. They have brick house, three bedrooms, very, like, very good condition, top of the garage, everything ticking all the boxes, uh, uh, tenanted, 10% rental yield. Um, and yeah, two years later, I think uh, we, we saw, I sold them for about 400K. Nice. Yeah. Um, and again, that was just to prove the case that the algorithm works uh, with the aim to rest capital. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, so then I, I started an exercise of raising capital. And then with investors, you know, it's never good enough. I say, oh, yes, that's just one that might be luck. Right? So mm. I wish I could have bought more, but then I was limited by capital. Right? Mm. And then recently, I bought a second one using the same algorithm in uh, Gladstone, Kinkora mm. uh, for $310,000. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, uh, I'm in the process of selling it. Yeah. Um, listing price. So it's been listed actually this week. Listing price is at 480. Nice. And you bought that for 310. Yeah. How long ago? Yeah. Like a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. Two years ago, max. Yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. So, so, okay. So you started the PopTech startup, which is 2D. Yeah. Um, obviously, we, we met during that period of time, which was a very yes. fate, fateful yeah. interaction. Yeah. So the story, yeah, yeah. So the story was, so I was trying to raise capital. Uh, everything was lined up. Uh, we decided to go for uh, crowdfunding. Um, the campaign was meant to be launched the 23rd of March, mm. 2020. And guess what happened in this pretty much exact same date? COVID. Mm. So that was basically everything goes to the bin. Right. And we reached a point where we really need capital. Um, and at the time we also were, so that wasn't very good news for us. And at the time you, uh, you were one of our clients mm. and, um, I think we were getting along pretty well and we decided to join forces. Yeah, and indeed. so, and I joined Dashdot in January, 2021. Awesome. So I'm interested. I'm interested, and it's been a very fun ride since then. I'm interested yes. to know now, like <laughs> over the can say, yeah, <laughs> indeed. So it's now been um, what nearly what is it a year and whatever it is four months or something like that that we've been working together. What's what's changed now about your perspective around the property market, right? Because I know that you've personally bought another property using Dashlot services. I want to talk about that because I want to get your, because you've got some yeah. pretty interesting insights on what that's like from a client side. But what, like what's different now on this, now that we've been on this journey together, like the, what are the, you know, there's been a lot that's <laughs> that's happened in the last like year and year and a bit, particularly around, um, you know, how we understand markets and stuff like that. What's, what's the biggest, the biggest shift for you? I'm not sure if we can say that. So basically <laughs> there's a big shift happening at the moment where I was convinced so far that the property market is like any commodity market. Yep. It's a supply and demand. It's all about supply and demand. If you understand supply and demand, you're going to be able to work out if prices are going to go up or down. Mm. Okay. Now it happens that it might not be the case. It's sometimes right? well, you can sometimes find that that is correlated though, like because that has been it, a pretty, it, it's it, been it, pretty it, good. Yeah. Though, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a might not be the case in such a way. It's more than that, mm. right? So supply and demand still applies. Yep. But there's more to it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's not yeah. give away all the secret sauce because it's pretty interesting. <laughs> There's some pretty interesting stuff coming along. So, um, I'm interested. Let, let's 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 kind of wrap up your property journey because I want to ask a few other questions as well. But like, um, obviously, you and your you and your partner Siobhan bought a property, another property recently as well. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of friction to buy properties. I don't know whether it's in any countries, okay? Whether it's, it's in Indonesia, yep. in the US, in Australia, they all have their different frictions and it's a, it's a bit of a painful process uh, that especially, uh, it's a lot of red, red tape. Mm -hmm. So, and it requires uh, personal involvement, right? And Siobhan and I decided to become a Dashdot client to buy your first property then all, and, and to build a, a prosperous portfolio over time yep. right, to achieve a financial goal. And I knew we, we, we had a good process, but when I went through the process, and I'm not saying this because I work at Dashdot, I was amazed about, and I'm not getting impressed 
like this. I was amazed how good the process was. You're French. In- you don't get impressed easily. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's just like, I think from start to end, I may have spent five hours max mm. uh, from the moment I say, here's where we are. Here's what we want to achieve in life. Here's our financial situation to the moment I had a tenant in the property that is positively geared. Yeah. And so far, I can't, it's, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah. And I, as I said, I spent maybe five hours max uh, from start to finish. Because you were already working at Dashdot before you started that started before you said, right, I'm going to become a client and go buy a property and do all that kind of stuff. Oh, so absolutely. How, yes. how, how, how different was it from like what you were already in? You were already working at Dashdot and then you had that experience. So how different was it from what you expected versus what you, what you received? Well, first is the quality of the people we, you interact with. Mm. Right? And it's just, you're just here to make your, your journey like frictionless. Mm. Um, and the other thing this is they go above and beyond uh, what I was expecting. For example, ah, uh, oh, we need to do a building and pest report. Right? Mm. So I thought I would have to go through it and then extract what needs to be done and and what needs to be basically what needs to be addressed. And I said, oh yeah, it's going to take time. You know, like pest building and pest report is not the best, most interesting read. Mm. And, uh, and what I got from them is just, hey, Julian, went through the report. Here's all the things that needs to be addressed. If you're okay with that, uh, we're going to ask basically the vendor to, to give us a discount. So everything was done. All I had to say, yeah, makes sense. Yes, paying five minutes. Awesome. And yeah, I think that's, that's the moment where I say, yeah, there we go, the extra step. Uh, and that's where I say, yeah, it's beyond my expectations. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So you've bought a few properties now over the, you've obviously bought six properties in the US. You've got land in Lombok, you know, you've bought and sold a couple of properties in Australia. You've got another property now. What are, what is like, what are, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned specifically about property investing that you, that you would be able to share with somebody else? So the touch wood so far, I didn't have bad experiences. Mm. Right. They've been all like profitable investment. But the but what I can talk about are the rules I'm applying. So mm. the first one, number one, is buy with your brain, not with your heart. Mm. Right? It's an investment. It's about numbers. Okay? Um, the second one is think about the worst scenario. And if you can live with it, go ahead. And I always think about the worst scenario for yeah. me. Like if I can see that the worst scenario is, I don't think the property prices will go down. Worst case scenarios is stay where they are. I'm fine with it. And the third one is surround yourself with people complementing your skills. Mm. So when I went to the US, you know, when all the market was flooded with mainly bad assets, right? And I'm not a builder, right? So that's why I went with my friend mm. who basically just by looking at the property and touching it would be able to tell you if the property is uh, built on uh, sound foundations or not. Yeah. So always surround yourself with uh, where you have gaps. That would be my third advice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And if you got what like 
given that um given that you said that when you moved to australia you're a bit confused by the property market and all of that kind of stuff because you're like hey how does this work what like what are some kind of like common beliefs or common mistakes um you see people uh making or believing in in property for example, I know negative gearing is a, a pretty interesting one, but have you seen like, have you seen like, are there any are there any mistakes that you've seen people make because you've had exposure to a bunch of different investors doing a bunch of different things? Like, what's some what are some of the um, traps that people can avoid? Yes, so negative gearing, mm-hmm. I think is is only works in certain conditions, and most of the time it's when you are very wealthy and you need to grab tax benefit. Yep, but otherwise it's. But personally, it doesn't make any sense. I'd rather make $1 on the property uh, than paying less tax because I'm losing money. Mm. So that's that's the first one. Um, the second one is I just find people are prefer to invest in market that already went up 50%. I don't know. It gives them a sense of comfort. Oh, look, it went up 50%. It's got further to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like, you're too late when you've reached that point. And what's likely to happen is that price will go, prices will go down. But I don't know, like I've seen that most of the time, I don't know, it just reinsure people that price uh, went up and, and then they get burned because the market crashed or corrected. Or, or at least, or at the very least flat lines, right? Or, or they, flat lines. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then you, you, you're wasting like eight years of nothing. Mm. Yeah. And the third one, actually, speaking of eight years, is that property prices double every eight to ten years. The which biggest, is nonsense. Which is the biggest myth ever. Yeah. Some Australia. places but they yeah. double faster. Some, yeah. Most places yeah, yeah. they don't. <laughs> yeah. I, so where what we're trying to capture in our in our in our models is really what we call the S curve, and what you find is uh, even a suburb level, like market property markets tend to to grow between let's say. 10 to 30% within two to three years. Mm. And then they flatten and then they go through another growth. Mm. So far, according to uh, the restaurant property market history. Mm. So what we're trying to really to capture for a client is, is the S curve, mm. right? So when it's about to start and then when it's finished, we say, uh, depending on each client profile, it's either you hold your asset or you may as well sell it and then capture another S curve in another market with another property. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you can accelerate things. So tell tell the tell us a little bit about then um data and technology at Dashdot. So before we do so there's one thing, you know, when you ask me what are the advice I could give when buying what property, and there's one thing I didn't have and mm. I'm missing, and that's what I'm looking for very much with Dashdot. I bought all these properties, but I don't have a strategy. Mm. Right? So I bought here and there, but I just did that get me anywhere. Not really. And because all these like purchase and settings don't feel in a in an overall strategy. Mm. And that's why I'm I'm getting with with Dashdot. That's why I like. So we bought the first one, but I know it's within the framework of a given strategy. Mm. So I know where we're going. So we've got clear goals, clear paths, and we're going in that direction. And everything we do is to move toward that direction. Whereas mm. so far, what I've been doing, yeah, okay, I've been in the US, being on the front, but did that make me really wealthier? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's sporadic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, I don't think so, yeah. Yeah. 
No, it makes sense. And that's what I see most most property investors doing is they'll buy and they'll sell and they'll do stuff and you know, they'll often make some money and stuff, but there's no strategy. There's no yeah. there's no actually it's not necessarily step by step getting you closer to your goal. Yeah. You're just doing a bunch of stuff and you may end up financially up, but it's not necessarily like specifically a path that you're going to follow to get yeah. to where you want to go faster, which is I think honestly part of the reason why most of our clients um, get to their goals so much faster than everybody else, because it's like, okay, start here, get to their bank and you know exactly where you're going. You're not wandering around through the woods, you know, doing random things, you know? Absolutely. Yes. And that's, uh, that's a key differentiator, I think with Dashdot. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And that's, um, that's a really good insight. That's a really good insight, particularly because like you've, you're, you know, you're quite familiar with investing in property and, and, you know, financials and all of that kind of stuff. And then to get to that point and only now be like, Oh, okay. Now, now I know where I'm going. That's really good insight. Yeah. That's a big piece I was missing so far. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let's talk about data and technology team, right? Because I know that a lot of people out there, um, don't really understand what happens and the back of Dashdop. And without kind of like revealing any of our deep, dark secrets, could you give us a sense of like, could you give us a sense of like how big is the data and technology team? What kind of like skills and capabilities do we have? Like, because from the outside, most people probably don't even know that we have a whole dedicated team, like trying to solve the property market. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so to give you a, a sense of growth, so, when I started in January uh, 2021, that was just me. Uh, now we are 14. Mm-hmm. So we grew the team by yeah, 14, 14 staff in uh, well, less than a year and a half. And yep. we're targeting to be 20 by the end of this quarter. Mm. Now, the team is structured in, I would say, three main streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the Dallas Science team. Right, they do uh, they do data science. Okay, so they ingest a lot of data to really understand the driver of the property market. We've got a market research scientist. Um, we've got two, and what they do, they use uh, they, they specialize in. Uh, they more like have a financials background, economics background. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got one of them. Uh, he's got a, a PhD in micro markets. He worked at NASDAQ. He's a quant. So uh, we they, they've got a more like theoretical approach to mm-hmm. understanding market as opposed to just having a number approach and machine learning approach that you get in data science. Mm-hmm. Right? So they they've got this more market science theory approach. Yeah. So that's a second stream. And the third stream, stream, we've got a development team. So what they do, we take all the findings from the market research and data science, and we package all of that into uh, an app that is used uh, internally by a property team Mm. to identify the right property at the right time in the right location. Yep, exactly. What's the goal then? Like, what do you, what do you, like, we're building out this team, we're building out this superpower tech and science team and like doing experiments. There's like so many experiments and stuff going on all the time. What's the goal? Like, what do you, what do you want to, like, what do you hope that the team is going to achieve? Uh, I want to, I genuinely believe the property market needs, needs, uh, is broken or need a refresh, you know, in the same way that um, Uber changed, um, the transport market, 
I think the property market is overdue uh, for a similar change. Yeah. And, and, and that's what we're doing. Um, and uh, I'll be happy when uh, I'll, get, I'll have a sense of satisfaction where, when we reach a stage where you find the properties that is a perfect match for your profile and you just have to say, add to car. <laughs> yeah, 100%. The key there, the key there is like the right property for you, right? Because it's yes. like, you know, buying properties is great, but how do you actually know if the property you're buying is actually the right one for you and is actually going to get you to where you want to go? Like that's the, like that's the, that's the big question, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can take three clients. They will have three different needs and uh, we, we will provide three different types of properties. Yeah, uh, one of them might need cash flow because I don't know, is it is in his late like fifties? Another one need growth because that's his first property investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another client may already have uh, three properties and he needs to refinance. He's going to need a mix of growth and cash flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's all these things you need to take into consideration. And maybe negative gearing might be the right option for, for certain clients as well, depending on their portfolio. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's a very uh, complex beast. Let's, yeah. uh, let's put it this way. So, okay. So let's take, take a little step back. So you were doing all your consulting stuff. You had a midlife crisis when you thought, hang on a second, I need to do something that's going to follow my passion. It's going to involve data, technology, property, on that path, do you feel like you're? Do you feel like you're now living your purpose? Do you feel like you're on the path of more fulfillment, more meaning? That's not a loaded question. I'm interested. I'm oh, reflect, re- re- reflect, reflecting, reflecting back. Like, do you feel like that when you decided that you were going to exit your your management consulting career yeah. versus yeah. now? Like, um, do you feel like you landed where you needed to land, or do you feel like there's still more to go? Oh, absolutely. Like, well, let's put it this way: what I'm doing. It's not a job. When I wake up every morning, I just I just love what I'm doing. Love my team. Love Dash Dot. It's 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 not a job. Uh, it's uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a. Uh, but yeah, it's always a very been my, active. What, a very uh, active hobby. <laughs> yeah, very active hobby. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no, it's awesome. And it's just also the potential. It's just unlimited. Uh, where are we going? The vision um, is just. Uh, just mind blowing. Mm. Um, and, and well, what does well, what does success look like to you now? Because like success at one point was making enough money to be able to stick it to your dad, basically. And then okay, then you've had a pivot. What is yeah. what is what is like good that you're now doing something that you love and all of that kind of stuff? But what does success look like? What are you aiming for? You're still planning on investing in property. Like you're you're shooting for something. What does that look like? Ah, uh, so success look like so obviously, as I mentioned, I want to transform the property market. Mm. Uh, I want a happy and healthy family. Uh, I don't want to have to worry about my f- financial future and their future. Mm. And also financial freedom. Um, I genuinely believe I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to be a successful entrepreneur. And that's Dash Dot is, is basically supporting me in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to share my time between Europe and Australia, potentially the US, mm-hmm. okay, chasing the sun. Uh, and uh, I love sports cars. So if I can have a, a nice sports car collection, that would be nice. 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 Yeah. And would you want to split your time between Australia and Europe? Would you be in the south of France again? 
That's where my parents live. So yes, that's that's where it would be. Um, because my my partner is from Australia, I think mm. London. So it would be London and Sydney. Interesting. Uh, but, then, but then from London, I can just you know jump in a plane in an hour mm. see my parents because they start getting old. So I yeah, yeah, yeah. Them as well. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. quite like the south of France. Quite, quite enjoyed. The yeah, it's there. nice. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Yes, yeah, south of France, Italy, it's beautiful. Nice, nice. Yeah. And how do you stay? How do you stay on track towards the towards that vision? Like, do you have any habits or rituals that you use to stay yeah. like focused on your goals? Yeah. So I've got I've got two. Uh, one I'm good at. One I'm good at. One I'm good at. The other one I wish I would do more because it really works. I'm going to explain. So the one we're doing with my partner, we've got a vision board. Yeah. All right. That we review each year. All right. So each year we basically reset, revisit completely the vision board. It's a one year, three years, five years. Yeah. And each quarter we assess how we're tracking against your one year vision board. Nice. Right? That's and a good system. Yes. And the other thing is, I genuinely believe that life will give you what you want as long as you clearly know what you want. Yes. Right. And when I say clearly know what you want, so, oh, I want to get rich. No. Mm. So, or I want to get, well, what does that mean? Like, like to the dot. Mm. Right. And then once you're clear on that, I've got a meditation. Uh, it's a 30 minute meditation that just where you visualize what you want, but also you, then it drives you to, what you're visualizing is to understand the emotions it's created for. for mm. And I think like whatever you call it, the universe or higher force, understand the emotion associated with what you want. And that's how you get it. I don't want to go too, too deep. But no, I think every, it's awesome. Every, every time I've done it, it works like crazy. Yeah. But then I'm getting distracted by life. And, um, and uh, I wish I would do it every day because it just works. But I'm getting distracted by life, you know, like... Uh, I just had a, a baby recently, so it just takes a lot of time. Pustache dot is very like, uh, what do you say? Not demanding, but tactics. Immersive. Immersive, immersive. Thank you. Yeah. Immersive yeah. job. So distract me from 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 doing this. Is that an excuse? Maybe not. But I wish I would do it more because it just works. It's so interesting that you say that because I'm kind of the same, right? So firstly, what you said there about you can have whatever you want. You just need to decide what that is. I... I say that all the time. You literally, you can mm. have absolutely anything that you want in life as long as you can clearly define what that is. And that, com that comes down to interpersonal relationships, right? It also comes down to like manifesting what you want out of the universe. And it's all, it's all true. And to your point, every time that I've spent time in this space the things actually happen yeah. um i also have another uh, mantra that i that i use uh, regularly that the universe will give me everything that i want as fast as i want and in the volume that i desire as long as i define what it is and believe in it you have to actually believe in it because if you're just just like oh yeah i just want something so you yeah. have to actually yeah. you have to truly believe yeah. it but also like you have been a bit distracted over the last <laughs> last <laughs> little while and i'm like i i've actually recently been going back over the stuff going okay i need to get get back i need to get back into yeah. that state yeah um so that's really yeah. interesting yeah and it, it requires like mental a bit of mental effort as well so you, yeah. you need to have the you know, if you're exhausted, you just 
don't have the strength to, to do it. Like even like yeah. when we do our, our vision board, we have to be in a specific mindset to do it. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it's it's not like, oh yeah, let's have some fun and and just like, oh yeah, like, let's, you know, like. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. But where I think where I think where people go wrong with that though, is that they think, oh, I've got to be in a certain state to do it. So unless I'm in that state, I'm not going to put in the effort to do it. But sometimes you actually need to start doing it, even when it doesn't feel comfortable, right? And even if you know that you're probably not going to get it right, just to try and start getting there. Because if you haven't, if you haven't done a, ever done a vision board before, or if you haven't done it in some time, right, it's going to feel a little awkward and a little uncomfortable. And you're going to be like putting stuff there, and then you're going to be like, "But what if I get it wrong? And what if it's not right?" But the point is that as you do the exercise, and it could be journaling, you could be journaling the thing that you want or whatever. As you go through the exercise, you're actually going to start feeling. You'll actually start to feel. Does that actually resonate with me, right? Now, I know that you've got a penchant for uh, Aston Martins and all of that kind of stuff. But if I put an Aston Martin on my vision board, I might be like, yeah, that's cool. But then I'll feel like, okay, yeah, is that yeah, sticky absolutely. for me? Is that yes. sticky yeah, for yeah. me? Is that is that yeah, is that yeah. really the thing that is going to make yeah. my heart shine? And it's yeah. that process of going through that allows you to weed through all of the noise and eventually to get to the things that matter really most to you. You know, it's- 100%, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, mate, time for the final question. So imagine it's your last day on earth, right? You've ticked all the boxes. You've got the sports car collection. You've you've transformed the property market. You've achieved everything that you hoped and dreamed and desired in life. You've ticked all of the boxes. You've filled your cup. You've done everything. But the moment that you pass, everything that you've ever created or had or everything that you've ever known is ever going to be wiped, wiped from the face of the earth. No, no record of you ever existing. But the only thing that you can leave behind is three simple truths that you're going to be able to give to the world. What are those truths? Mm. The first one will be always stay true to yourself. It's not easy. Uh, I've made the mistakes, as we discussed a couple of times, to drift away from who you truly, well, I, I truly was. So always stay true to yourself. And the threat here is don't let people tell you who you are, mm. right? So that's number one, always just true to yourself. Uh, take risk, right? But measured risk, don't be scared. Like people make like a big deal about, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to. I just find every time I took risk, I always end up being easier than I thought and always paid off. Obviously don't take stupid risk, but mm. yeah, don't be scared. Take risk, just do it. And the third one is probably also my favorite: never be gray. Nothing great happen in the middle. Mm. So be be black, be white, but don't be gray. And obviously, do it with balance. Don't be always black, or always white. You know, you gotta you gotta alternate, right? Bit of black, a bit of white. So. All in, like when you at the end you end up being great, but you don't stay in the middle because nothing great happened in the middle. It's boring. Yeah, beauty's always yeah. on the edges. Like beauty's yes, always at absolutely. it's always at the extremes. But to, yeah. to, to to your point, you don't want to be all one way, right? You don't want to yes. be like for let's just for example, let's say it's like money and spirituality, right? They're kind of yeah. like generally seem to be opposing things. Yeah. If you go all the way to the extreme of money forget about spirituality, yeah. you're going to get lost. But if you just try and operate in some middle ground, you're never going to get the best of either of them, you know? So Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Yes. 
I love that, Julian. Julian, it's been really good to have you on. I'd love to, um, I'd actually love to get you on uh, again, maybe when we can actually talk a little bit more about the the science of property, because I feel like that would be a pretty interesting um, discussion for us to kind of dig into and debunk some myths, perhaps. You, are you up for that? Oh, it would be a pleasure. Awesome. Sweet Anytime. Man. Anytime. Well, thanks. Thanks. Thanks again for joining, joining me on the show. I'll speak to you soon.